Or if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 together. In John 1.14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word. The Word is Jesus Christ. Today is the day that we celebrate his resurrection, the day he conquered death. Friday we came together in this room and we remembered the suffering that had to take place as Jesus was executed for our sins. But today we celebrate the fact that Jesus did not remain in that grave. Because three days after being placed in that tomb, he conquered the grave, he conquered death, and he completed the work he was sent to do. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I've entitled this message this morning, What Difference Does It Make? As we look back to the day of the resurrection, what difference does that day make in all of human history? I'm going to tell you, the resurrection of Jesus changed everything, didn't it? It changed the lives of those women at the tomb. It changed the lives of those disciples. It would change the lives of those guards. And it changed our lives as well. At Christmas, I have preached a message series about the characters of the Christmas story. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at some of the characters that make up the resurrection story that make up that first Resurrection Sunday. So notice first, let's look at the women from Resurrection Sunday. In Matthew 28, verse 1, we read, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, if you and I were going to fabricate a story about the resurrection, we would not have chosen women as the first to see Jesus following his resurrection. 2,000 years ago, a woman was to be seen and not heard. They were seen as second-class citizens. To give you an idea of a woman's value, the Jewish historian Josephus wrote that even the witness of multiple women was not acceptable because of the levity and boldness of their sex. Celsus, a second century critic of Christianity, mocked the idea of Mary Magdalene as an alleged resurrection witness, referring to her as a hysterical female, deluded by sorcery. The people may have seen a woman as undervalued, but know that Jesus did not see them that way, did he? He showed them great love, worth, and value, and made them part of his his eternal story. Notice the work of these women. First thing that they did is they came to look. In verse 1 again, we, we, we are told that they, they had gone to the tomb that day to see. These women fully expected to come to the tomb to see the body of Jesus inside. They did not come expecting to see an empty tomb, did they? Even though Jesus had promised time and time again that he would rise to life again, they came to see 
And we also know they came to work. In Mark 16, 1, we're told, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene married the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Luke tells us, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. So following Jesus' crucifixion, we are told that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus prepared Jesus' body for burial. This would have been a hurried job since they had to complete everything before the Sabbath began, before the sun went down. These women come to the tomb to finish what those men started. Ultimately, these women came to work, but they also came to be as close as they could be to Jesus. They did not want to let him go. They missed him even though it had only been a few days. I think we all have experienced the loss of a loved one and have gone and spent much time at their graveside. We know they are not there, but we go because it helps to stir up those loving memories that we have of them. Those women knew that Jesus was, was not there, but they still went on that day. Next, let's look at the angels from Resurrection Sunday. In verses 2 through 6, we read, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled because, and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Matthew tells us that there was one angel at the tomb. But both Luke and John tell us that there were two angels at the tomb. Should you and I be concerned about this? Should we be concerned that each of the Gospels report something a little bit different about the resurrection? Not at all. What we get with each of the disciples' accounts is a different vantage point of all that happened on that resurrection Sunday. Notice the work of the angels. They rolled away the stone. In Mark 16, 2-3, we read, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Don't you think that would have been a good question to ask before they ever left their home that morning? I mean, here's what you need to understand about those stones. I mean, those stones would have been carved out of a mountain and shaped in the form of a wheel. And most of them would have been placed at an incline before the burial would have occurred. And then when it was time to roll that stone into place, it would roll downhill and it would seal um, there at the entrance to that tomb. Those stones weighed anywhere between two and 4,000 pounds. It would have been absolutely impossible for a couple of women to have rolled that stone away. And so these women, I mean, imagine as they are approaching the site of Jesus' burial, they have the spices in hand and the And they're asking themselves, who's going to remove that stone? You know, their question still rings true today. We sometimes go through life trying to figure out how we are going to be able to remove the biggest barriers and obstacles that we face. What stone lies before you this morning? 
What barrier or obstacle are you facing today that you cannot move by yourself? It may be a marriage barrier. It may be a financial barrier, a relationship barrier, or a health barrier. Maybe it's a fear barrier. Maybe it's a barrier of doubt. You just cannot wrap your mind around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a sin barrier. Maybe there is a sin that is keeping you from coming to faith in Jesus. Or maybe there's a sin that is present in your life today that is causing your relationship with Jesus to be strained. And your relationship with others to be strained as well. Maybe it's a barrier of despair or hopelessness or helplessness. Often, these barriers are so large that they captivate our ever-waking moments. These women, went, want, these women want to know how that barrier between them and Jesus would be removed on that first resurrection Sunday. And as they are trying to figure it out, they arrive at the tomb and they witness the angel of the Lord roll that stone away. That barrier that had captivated their thoughts that morning was removed in an instant. There are barriers and obstacles before us often. But there is no barrier greater than the barrier that sin creates between us and God. In Isaiah 59, 2, we read, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And then in Romans 6, 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. What we deserved for our sin was a life of separation from God. It was us that deserved to die on that Friday 2,000 years ago. But Jesus took our place. He died in our place. He provided us with the free gift of salvation that comes to all who repent of their sins and acknowledge with their lips that Jesus is Lord and acknowledge that he is Savior. And they also believe in the resurrection of Jesus as well. Jesus put to death our sin and provided a way for us to draw near to God the Father through faith, didn't he? That's good news this morning, isn't it? That's why we're here this morning. In Revelation 1, 17 through 18, we read, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The angels also silenced the guards on that day. And these guards were so scared that they became like dead men. One writer said, that is the power of the resurrection. The enemy of the resurrection is silenced by the Lord of the resurrection. The angels would also comfort the women on that day. In Matthew 28, 5 through 6, again we read, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. You know, the angels comfort these women on this day in two, we- two ways. First, they tell them not to be afraid. They were gripped with fear, weren't they? 
Man, they are surrounded in that moment by the glory of the Lord. We see time and time in Scripture that when sinful man or woman come in proximity of, of, of holy God or come in proximity of one of his angels, they are gripped with fear. But the angels here tell them not to be afraid. But they also invite them in to see the place where Jesus once laid. The angels tell them, come, see the place where he lay. Charles Spurgeon shared, those women were later grateful that the angels told them to see the place where they laid him. It should have been enough to merely hear the testimony of the angel. Nevertheless, when they saw it, it gave them ground to stand on even more solid than the testimony of an angel. He also would go on to say, one eyewitness is better than 20 ear witnesses. Men will believe what you have seen if they do not believe what you have heard or what, what you have heard. My friend Tom, Tom way back there, my friend Tom went fishing last weekend and he told me that he caught several fish. And he told me that one of those fish was a five pound bass. Now I love Tom, but I also know that sometimes fishermen tell tales. They tend to stretch the truth a little bit, don't they? That fish that they caught turns into that fish that they caught. But Tom showed me a picture of that fish, and seeing for me was believing. It's a pretty fish right there, isn't it? Again, I love Tom, but if he would have told me he caught a five-pound pass, I would have said, ah, that's probably a two-pound pass. But when he sent me that picture, seeing was believing. These women did not hear, did not just hear of Jesus' resurrection, but they visually saw the place where Jesus once lay, and soon they would also see the resurrected Christ. Seeing was believing. Notice next the disciples from Resurrection Sunday, verses 7 through 10 we read, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And then they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. <clears throat> then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. These women are not only given the great responsibility of being the heralds of the resurrection account, but they would also be the first to see Jesus post-resurrection. Charles Spurgeon also said, saints running in the way of obedience are likely to be met by Jesus. These women are met by Jesus before Jesus' most trusted disciples were. In Luke 24, we read of Jesus' encounter with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. In verses 13 through 15, we get a little snapshot of what occurred on that day. Um, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these sayings that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So Jesus shows up. And he begins to talk to the disciples, and the disciples have no idea who they're talking to. But soon the Lord would reveal himself to those disciples, and they would know that it was Jesus post-resurrection in their very midst. We are also told that Jesus appeared to the disciples while they were held up together. 
In John 20, 19 through 23, we read, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Scripture is clear and history is clear that Jesus did not just appear to a few post-resurrection, but he appeared to many. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Hundreds saw Jesus resurrected. The first century Jew, Josephus, was not a Christian, but wrote much about Christ and the early believers. He was born just after the resurrection of Jesus, but because of the, Christ, the, the growth of Christianity, he could not help but write and document about Jesus. What he wrote can be trusted and is widely considered historically accurate by the Jews even to this day. Notice next, notice the guards from Resurrection Sunday. In verses 11 through 15 we read, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Amazing to me that just hours after the resurrection, there were already two stories being spread amongst the people. One was being spread by a small group of women as they were directed to do by the angel of the Lord. The other story was being spread by these Roman guards. If anyone had firsthand testimony of the resurrection, it would have been those guards, wouldn't it? Following the appearance of the angels, these men go and tell the religious leaders all that had taken place. I mean, I can't even imagine what they, what they shared on that day. But they would have reported about that earthquake. They would have reported about how that stone was, was supernaturally rolled away. They would have reported on that day that the angels of God appeared before them. These men saw the glory of heaven right before them. What kept them from declaring his glory among the masses. You know what kept them from doing that? We're told here, a sufficient sum of money. Those guards were paid off. They loved money more than they loved the resurrected Christ. I mean, think about that. G Judas. Judas was paid off, and he ended up betraying Jesus with a kiss. And these guards were paid off as well. So they began to spread a lie that the disciples stole the body while they were asleep. That lie is still being spread today. In closing this morning, let's look at the Lord of the resurrection. Let me ask you a question this morning. What keeps you from believing in the Lord 
of resurrection, of the resurrection this morning? What is keeping you this morning from believing in Jesus? What is keeping you from experiencing the barrier of sin between you and God being removed? Jesus died for you. He went to the cross. He died the most painful of deaths. He shed his blood so that your sins and my sins could be covered by his very blood. I want you to know this morning that whatever you are going through today, the resurrected Christ wants to walk with you through it. What suffering are you experiencing? Christ wants to comfort you. Whatever you are fearful of today, Christ wants you to know that you do not have to be afraid. Whatever sin you have committed, Christ wants you to know that he will forgive you. You may say, the sins I've committed are unforgivable. I want you to know this morning that is so far from the truth. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. For as in Adam all die, because of that first sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden, all of humanity stands condemned before our holy God. But there is hope. And this morning, I want to invite you to receive the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. You may ask yourself this morning, how do I do that? Well, let's look at a few steps to salvation. First, you have to admit that you are a sinner. And that sin separates you from our holy God. We read in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It does not say there, for some people have sinned, or a few people, or most people. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, again, we read, For the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin, what we deserve is death. But notice what this verse goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What God the Father through God the Son provided to all of us in this room is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that occurs when we believe in Jesus, when we believe that he is the only way to heaven. In John three sixteen, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All who believe in him shall have eternal life. Jesus also said in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There is one way to God the Father. That is through God the Son. There are not multiple ways. There are not two ways. There is one way. And the only way a person is going to enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, a person must confess Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what do we have to do? Man, we have to repent of our sins, and we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We have to acknowledge that he is our Savior, 
that came to take away our sins, and we also have to believe in the resurrection. We have to believe that Jesus did indeed conquer death. And if we do these things, what are we promised? We are promised salvation. In Romans 10, 13, we read, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad Jesus is alive this morning? I'm so grateful that when those women went to the grave that first Resurrection Sunday, they saw with their very eyes an empty tomb, and they saw the resurrected Jesus. Jesus is alive. The question is, is he alive in you? Has his resurrection become your resurrection? Have you gone from death to life? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This morning, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and experience God's amazing grace. Come asking Jesus to remove the barrier of sin that separates you from God the Father. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to do that this morning. You may need to come this morning trusting in Jesus for the very first time. You may need to come this morning just needing prayer. I'd love to pray with you. I don't know what decision you need to make, but let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, just celebrating that you conquered death and provided a way that each and every one of us can enter into an eternal relationship with you. Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. I also pray this morning if there is someone here in this room that just needs prayer, that they'll do one of two things. They'll either go to somebody in this room and just say, hey, will you pray with me this morning? Or I would love to pray with them as well. Father, I don't know what decision might need to be made this morning, but I know that you do. I pray that you will move in our midst this morning. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.